Good evening, Patriots. And it's Friday, January 13th in the year 2023. It's ending for us on the West Coast. It has ended. Friday the 13th has ended if you're on the East Coast. We're going to get into the book of Judah tonight. Short book, 461 pages. I've been doing these short books this week. And um, they're powerful when you dig into them. We don't read them very often. God put my on my heart to look at Judah, and it really became clear why, especially after the show in the previous hour, really talking about responsibility and all in with Jesus. And we're going to get into that here just very shortly. One thing we do need to keep in mind with everything that is going on is food security, and that's something that's going to continue to be an issue. And food security is real. And it is pressing these days. So make sure you're stocking up on food and in an appropriate way with things that last and create basic nutrition. We're going to have shortages in the short term, and then we have to, you have to build a short, a medium, and a long-term plan. Patriot Supply provides you with that immediate emergency supplies that will last forever, about 20 years, and allowing you that transition point from going from zero into wherever your sustainment model is. So take a listen. Patriots, you can hide your head in the sand or you can face the future head on. Those are your two options. If you want to remain free and self-reliant, despite whatever happens in the world, you need to get yourself enough emergency food so you can survive the coming chaos in our society. You can fully expect food shortages if everything breaks down. And if you don't already have enough food on hand, you will regret it. So do yourself a favor and go to preparewithbards.com and save $200 on a three-month emergency food kit from My Patriot Supply. They're the nation's largest preparedness company, and they're knocking $200 off the regular price of their three-month kit to help make it affordable for families who are feeling the pain of inflation right now. At this price, get one kit per person for your family. These kits are in stock, and they ship fast and free. Save $200 per kit when you go to preparewithbards.com, preparewithbards.com. Patriots, I've said it so many times, food security is the foundation of personal sovereignty. So head on over to preparewithbards.com and take advantage of this amazing offer. Do it today. Preparewithbards.com, great location for you to get everything you need for your food supplies. I'm gonna to begin tonight as I did last night with a great piece on the book of, some people say Jude, it's also Judah, um, the book of Jude. And it's um, got a great overview of this by the Bible Project. If you don't follow them on YouTube, please do. You'll find it to be an amazingly rich source of research, really family-friendly material, super for if you're doing a home church or Bible study, and fantastic for children. This is uh, all ages, but for the youth and children, because they do some really enjoyable animations on these two. So here we go. Take a listen to this. The letter of Jude, or more accurately, Judah, according to the pronunciation of his name, both in Greek and in Hebrew. Judah was one of Jesus's four brothers who are named in the gospel accounts. None of the brothers followed Jesus as the Messiah before his death, but afterwards they saw him alive from the dead and then became his disciples. All these brothers of Jesus became leaders eventually in the first Jewish Christian communities, and Judah was known as a traveling teacher and missionary. And this gives us the background to understand the purpose of his letter. We don't know what specific church community he wrote to, but it was likely made up of mostly Messianic Jews. His writing style assumes a deep knowledge of the Hebrew Old Testament scriptures, as well as other popular Jewish literature. Jude had become aware of a crisis facing this church, and so this helps us understand the letter's design. It begins with an opening charge, followed by a long warning and accusation against corrupt teachers who had influenced this church. And then Judah closes by completing the charge about what this church is supposed to do. Judah begins by charging this church to contend for the true Christian faith. He says his plan was to write a longer work that explored our shared salvation through the Messiah. But that project, he says, got delayed when he heard the urgent news about this church, and so he fired off this very thoughtful but very short letter. Judah doesn't begin with how they're supposed to contend for the faith. Rather, he first goes into why. 
It's because of the corrupt teachers who have infiltrated this church. And it's not their teaching that he targets, but their way of life. Their moral compromise is what tells you they have bad theology. First of all, they've distorted God's grace as a license to sin. They think that they're forgiven and they have God's spirit, so now they can do whatever they want, especially when it comes to money and sex. And so Judah says they betray Jesus by rejecting his authority and his teachings. I'm going to stop right there. That is so in line with where we are today. And it's pretty amazing because one of the things we talk often about is there's this propensity within churches and within a lot of the Christian faith that once you're saved, it's as if everything is a, is a done deal. And then just almost like you're marking time until then. We're going to do some extra deeds to get a few more markers in heaven, but I'm saved and I'm good. And then I can just, I'll see you at the end. And it's, that's exactly what, part of what Judah was targeting was the moral corruption within the pulpit and within the church. The critical piece right from the start is that it isn't just saying that you're in, you've embraced Christ. It's how we live. And that's what he's targeting here. And as you listen to this, keep that in mind because this entire process where we are right now is an outcome of weak pulpits and corrupted churches and teachings. We have had, obviously, some good churches, and there have been some good local churches. But on the, on the aggregate whole, churches failed this nation for a long time. And because of the moral bankruptcy within the church, in their way that they live, and in so doing, the way that they did not exemplify the living and breathing Jesus himself. We'll continue. And Judah wants this church to know that the appearance of these teachers is no surprise. He transitions into a longer warning to stay away from them. He first offers two sets of three Old Testament examples. The first trio is about rebellious people who in the past received divine justice. So the Israelites who rebelled against God in the wilderness, they got what they wanted and they died out in the middle of nowhere. Then he brings up a story about angels who are imprisoned for rebellion until they face God's justice. He's referring to the interpretation of the story in Genesis 6 offered in the popular Jewish work called First Enoch, where the sons of God are interpreted to refer to angels who rebelled against God, then had sex with women and were judged accordingly. I want to point out something here. You're going to hear more about this in a second. He just said it. It's referencing the book of Enoch. Now, this is important because as you will hear him discuss, and I completely concur with the conclusion they come to, at this time in, in the writings, Enoch was part of the many books of scripture, of important Hebrew scripture and readings. We've come to a place now where churches literally tell you not to read Enoch, or they'll tell you that like, oh, that's not included in the Bible, so don't look. It is still a very important text, and it's obviously an important text because it's referenced here in this very small book. I don't think it's referenced anywhere else directly in the Bible. Though Genesis does make, you can make connections with Genesis to Enoch, a direct re reference, which you'll hear more about in a moment, to the book of Enoch in the Bible is seldom recognized or seldom known. This small little book in the Bible, this little book of 461 words, has tremendous influence and power over the concepts of what it is to walk with Jesus. And again, just like the, that short little piece we listened to last night, Philemon, Philemon, sorry, Philemon, last night, which was written by Paul, and that in itself only had 335 words. This one has 461 words. You're going to find that the two, some of these are these are of the five shortest books in the Bible, by the way. You're going to find that these books here, which are two of the shortest probably have as much impact and insight as to how we are to live as Christians within Christ and then adding to that with the book of Judah is the connection that takes us now to the book of Enoch. So I would highly encourage you to read the book of Enoch if you have not, and I'll continue. Judah links this story to his third example about the ruin of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis, where violent men tried to have sex with angels. Both these stories are about rebellion against God's order that led to sexual immorality, and that's precisely what the corrupt teachers are guilty of. 
After this, Judah brings up a bonus example from a popular Jewish text called the Testament of Moses. Like Enoch, it was not part of the Old Testament scriptures, and it was a creative retelling of Moses' final days and words based on Deuteronomy. In the section that Judah quotes from, Moses has died, and there's a good angel, Michael, who is refuting the devil's accusations against Moses, but he decides to leave final judgment for God alone. Now, these stories might seem kind of odd to you, but for Jewish people who were raised on this literature, Judah's warnings make good sense. The behavior of these corrupt teachers has ancient roots, rebellion against God's authority, sexual immorality, rejecting God's messengers. And this connects to the second trio of examples. They're all about rebels who went on to corrupt other people. So Cain, he murdered his brother, but then he went on to build a city where violence reigned. Balaam, the sorcerer, he couldn't curse Israel, and so he lured them into idolatry and sexual corruption. And then Korah, the Levite, he led a rebellion against Moses that ended in disaster for others. Judah concludes the second trio with a barrage of Old Testament images to describe the teachers. They're like the selfish shepherds of Ezekiel, or like the clouds with no rain from Proverbs, or like the chaotic waves from Isaiah. Their self-absorption betrays their claim to follow Jesus. They create chaos wherever they go. Now, this is really amazing. In, in modern literature studies, this would be called intertextual studies. And it is you start to realize when you take a look at these 461 words, I, I guess someone in chat just told me that I had said 461 pages. So if I said that, I re, I'll take it back. Obviously, I'm wrong. It was just a slip. But um, 461 words here. And in this 461 words, we have just moved from Genesis to Enoch. We've moved into Proverbs, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Numbers, and and probably and then also the the this extra book of, which was the another te- testament of Moses's life which is not another one not in the bible that's profound and that just shows you how deep the writings are within scripture that we just gloss over like oh what does that mean well everything in scripture is deeply interwoven and embedded leading to many other references and so that's what allows us as i loved it was said to me, and I love to say it, we begin reading the Bible and then the Bible reads us. As Brad Cummings said, the Bible is like it's it's done in a way that it's a living hologram so that it doesn't matter where you start and where you end, you will always get the picture of what was what God wants you to ultimately know. So it's really profound. And you're starting to see the connections here of the idea of selfish shepherds. You are getting the idea of people that, start with a, a corrupted heart to claim to have Jesus and where that leads and how that creates chaos in the world. Think about that in terms of where we are today from the, where we started. This nation was originated from the pulpit with pastors talking boldly about tyranny, talking boldly about strength and standing with Christ and ultimately leading to the standing up of the black robe regiments that literally took positions against the British with arms. Today, I swear to you, most churches would cow away and just say, no, 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 don't do that. Just pray for them. And yes, we're going to be put on the trains and we'll be exterminated in in FEMA camps. But just pray because that's the burden that God wants us to carry. That is pure crap, just so I say it. That is not the teachings of Scripture. So God never asked us to be a doormat, didn't ask us to be dead cockroaches on the side of the street, didn't ask us to be roadkill. And what we're seeing here is all of that is origin, originating from its place of corrupted, those of corrupted heart that are trying to come to the pulpit. They can say that they've accepted Jesus, but they haven't gone beyond that. Worse, they, they have other desires and passions that are corrupting their way as they continue or try to be quote-unquote shepherds for the flock. Judah concludes his warning by quoting from two other warnings, one ancient and one recent. The first comes, again, from the popular book of First Enoch, which claimed to contain the visions of the ancient figure Enoch from the book of Genesis. Now, what's fascinating is Judah quotes from the opening chapter of Enoch, which is itself quoting about half a dozen Old Testament texts about the final day of the Lord's justice on human evil. 
Judah then matches Enoch's ancient warning with a more recent one from the apostles. Peter, John, Paul, they all predicted that corrupt teachers would arise and distort the good news about Jesus. And they themselves were echoing Jesus' early warning about the same thing. And so this church should need no more convincing. These teachers have to be dealt with. Now listen to that responsibility. I think that's what's profound. So we, we are hearing already that corrupting teaching teachers will arise and they will distort, distort Christ's word and the good news that was said by Peter and was said in Peter, John and Paul and Timothy. So, I mean, all of this was said and Christ himself forecast it in Matthew. And the bottom line is that these teachers must be dealt with. So Judah then moves into his closing charge. He picks up his opening line about contending for the faith and he unpacks how to do so with a cool set of metaphors. He describes the community of Jesus as God's new temple. And so they are to build their lives on the foundation of the most holy faith, which refers to the core message of good news about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for our sins. And that puts the church in our heart, which is important. Not the church within brick and mortar, but the church as it is built in the new temple with the community of those that follow Jesus. On that foundation, the church is to build itself through a dedication to prayer, by devoting itself to the love of God through obedience. And the integrity of this building will be maintained by staying alert for the return of Jesus to bring his justice and his mercy. And in doing this, they will help each other stay faithful to Jesus. Judah then concludes by praising the God who will protect his people and keep them from falling too far from his grace. The short letter of Judah is powerful and puzzling for many modern readers who ask why he quotes from texts that aren't today considered part of the Hebrew Bible, like First Enoch or the Testament of Moses. It's important to remember that Jewish culture in this time was immersed in religious texts. Jesus, his family, all the early Jewish Christians grew up reading the Hebrew Bible along with many later books that were based on and inspired by the scriptures. And we know there were ancient debates about whether or not some of these later book should be viewed as scripture, but regardless, they're still important. A book doesn't have to be in the Bible to speak an important message to God's people. And so we have many Jewish texts from this period. They're known today as the collections of the Apocrypha, also called the Deuterocanon, along with the Pseudepigrapha. These were all preserved and read in Jewish and Christian communities. They were treated with great respect. It doesn't mean they were originally designed as part of the Hebrew Bible, but they are part of the biblical tradition. And so Judah, knowing his readers that they would value words from First Enoch, he used them to communicate his message, which is this. God's grace through Jesus demands a whole life response, not just intellectual assent. Notice that Judah doesn't criticize or focus on the teacher's theology, but their immoral way of life, which denies Jesus. And so Judah is here applying what Jesus first told his disciples. If you really love me, then you will obey my teachings. For Christians, how you live is the most reliable indicator of what you actually believe. And that that's what the letter of Jude is all about. And there you have it. God's grace demands a whole life response. I, and this is where I find it really powerful for me because tonight as we were, as I did the previous show, which was very much father-led as all shows are, but the message that came out very profound and very powerful was you have to make a decision now. There's no in between. You have to be, if you're waffling on the fence or thinking you're going to put one foot in the other world and one foot in the modern world, make a choice because that, that is not, the seas are now parting, literally. And it is time to decide, are you going to be walking with God or are you going to be walking in the old world? Are you going to be seeking to be what, remembering the things that were to try to resurrect that which was is no longer, that is no longer or are you going to listen and follow where God's leading, which is a path of faith, not by sight? And so finishing that show and then coming to this, where God had put in my heart to do Judah, and it was these two, last night was the same thing. He put in my heart to, to do Philemon, and now we're here doing Judah. 
And as I was reviewing this before the show, it's just that whole piece caught me. It's just like, wow, what a powerful message again. And this is really, to me, God speaking boldly that God's grace demands a whole life response. Again, Judah's not attacking or going after the theology, but he's looking at the moral choices, how people are living. How many times do we talk about that in terms of a moral bankruptcy in this nation? We have in loving Jesus, we have to obey Jesus. And so I just want to point out too, because as we say that, we will often get out, you'll get the immediate response. Well, that means all love. But if we're reading through the story of Jesus, there is conflict, there's compassion, there's pain, there's the revealing of the most darkest of evils, there's the enduring of being sacrificed the pain, the suffering that that goes through. But what I think is missed many times is how ultimately through this entire process and as we look at the pain of sacrifice and what he endured on the cross, which is profound, that he even endured it, and even leading up to the cross, which is unbelievable. His flesh whipped down to where it was this open flesh, flailed open, bleeding, and he's dragging this cross of a several hundred pounds on his back with a crown of thorns packed into his head as people are throwing things at him and spitting on him. It's, people are so sick. There's just, there's just mob rule, right? They've gone from loving to hating him in a flash. If it was modern day, my first question would be, did they all take the vax? Because that's what I'd expect. But what's really amazing is how Jesus wins. And I don't think we look at that victory enough in the process of him enduring what they do to him and the absorbing of their viciousness and evil and releasing it from his heart and letting Father bring justice. Several hundred years after his resurrection, Rome is gone. It's destroyed from within by the voice and the word of Jesus. Something to really consider. So here we have Judah now coming to the churches to remind them him of the victory, of the good news, and openly saying that these pastors that are in their place, these people speaking from the pulpit that are distorting the word must be held accountable. They're corrupt teachers. And you have to, we have to be clear here. He's not, again, he's not attacking theology. He's not suggesting that because one teacher is emphasizing this, this topic or interpreting things this way and another teacher is emphasizing or interpreting things this way that they are corrupted. That's not what he's saying. That's what happens today. In the stupidity of the fights that happens between churches when they throw stones, they always focus on the doctrine of what one church is supposed to be doing and another church isn't doing. They're missing the entire objective. And Judah, the letter of Judah proves it. It is what is in the heart of these people. He's looking at those who are living, loving Jesus and obeying Jesus in the way that they live their own lives and walk. They are the sexual immoralities that exist. The, the, passion, the hearts and the desires of the hearts of the material world and the, and the flesh of the world that he's looking at, that is distorting them. Because by virtue of distortion, then they themselves are not speaking a word that can be true. And then the ex- examples, again, he gives are Cain, Balaam, and Korah. These are, these are great examples to really look at how these people who started with a corrupted heart end up leading the world towards selfishness, which is where we are today, and chaos. This is profound. This is, again, I go back to this is 400, what I say, 461, 462 words. And all of this is embedded in that. And if you were of the era, you would have received those messages because you would have been familiar with all the intertextual references, including Enoch, the book of Enoch. You would have been familiar with all of that and would have seen it all. So let's go ahead and read this short book of 461 words of the book of Judah. I, or number one, starting with Judah one, sorry, Judah, a bondservant of Jesus Christ 
and brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe, and angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are, ex- are exhibited, as, exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Yet, in the same way, these men also, be, by dreaming, defile the flesh and reject authority and revile ag- angelic majest- majesties. But Michael, the arching, archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these men revile the things that they do not understand and the things which they know but instinct, know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, and these things they are dis- destroyed. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, and for pay they have rushed headlong into the air of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love fests when you feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried along the winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up their own, shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. It was all about these men that Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, finding fault, following after their own lusts. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ that they were saying to you, in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life and have mercy on some who are doubting, save others, snatching them out of the fire and on the same have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to keep you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless 
with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. That's an amazing letter. An amazing book. Which, if you didn't know where it was, you'd just zip right past it and probably go through it a hundred times and miss it in the Bible. It's pretty amazing. This, is, this, to me, is such a timely read. And it is something that is so important to our nation, which is the responsibility, again, of the churches. God is stepping away from the churches. He's, he has crushed the churches that disobeyed him. The ones that closed their doors, forced their people to wear masks, went further to encourage the vax, even blaspheming by saying that Christ would get the injection. These are people that have completely defiled the word of God. They've convoluted the words of Jesus, and they've done so to try to influence their masses for other things like the coinage in the, in the offering plate power, influence, whatever the bargaining deal was, and most likely lusts of their own heart, which gave themselves their own kickback to pad whatever money they were making from the church. Our churches are in a very important point of transition, and that important element of change that will drive them is us, our voices within the pews and within the ranks. Churches have to be held accountable to the teachings of the word by how they live, as, and as is said so well in Jude, it is not enough simply to speak the word. But these are the deceivers. These are the mockers. These are the ones that have their own ungodly lusts. And it's those ungodly lusts that are distorting the scriptures and distorting the word as they walk a path and some, perhaps they don't, I doubt that they don't realize it, but I think they don't want to see it. And you can see it in a lot of places. When someone spends more time worrying about whether they're going to wear skinny jeans and a, and a nice pair of loafers and their hairdo, then the actual message and the impassioned message, we've got a problem. It really should be a crime not to make scripture exciting because scripture is an amazing journey. It's an unbelievable story of us but when we get into the emphasis of such pedant doctrine where it becomes so rigid and it loses its tone and its life, you have to ask what it is within the person that's reading it that's not allowing them to express and experience and see the glory of God's word within. Each of us in this place and time, if you have been drawn to God, if you've been brought into starting a home church, if you're going to do a podcast, if you're doing outreach in your community, God's speaking to you, whatever that is. And that is a ministry. And it's a powerful ministry in this time that we need. You've heard me say many times, and if, you're the, if your expertise is changing tires or doing, changing a transmission, chopping wood, baking bread, painting houses, repairing gutters, I don't know. These are gifts and talents that all become an aspect of ministry when we start to carry the word and the love of Jesus into the world and doing so with the passion in which what we do, how we live, how we respect one another is consistent with Christ himself. That does not say we are sinless because in fact we will sin and it's for that reason that we must repent and repent regularly. It's not just like a one-off thing. But in repenting, it's the idea to rise up again. And there are things that we may repent again for because they are heavy burdens that may take us to places that are difficult to break from. That's where the aspects of deliverance ministry come in to try to help bridge those gaps of things that may be hooking us into dark places. But nonetheless, it's the persistence of our heart to pursue. And even if you're feeling the struggle in your heart at the time, a duality, say, of knowing that there's something wrong, but you're choosing to make the right choice to go forward and walk with God. That's part of this walk as well. We are not perfect. But it is, again, the choices that we make that drive the moral foundation of this nation. What Judah ultimately is arguing is the importance of restoring the morality from the pulpit. But here's the breaking news. We are currently the pulpit for God. 
And while that may ruffle some feathers for those that have been to ministry, ministry training or they've been to seminaries, what I meant to say, seminary, or they've been teaching and preaching at a church and they feel that they're doing the right thing, look at where the growth and the expansion of the word is coming from. God is blessing his children that are listening. Listening, He's building out new connectivities and networks and fellowships. He's using unconventional resources, not putting emphasis on brick and mortar, but that was exactly the point of the whole message is that God needed his people to walk in a place of a whole life response. That isn't to confine yourself within the walls of a church and say that that's enough because that becomes a prison. What we're being challenged to do is to go far beyond And the idea of the church resurrection, in my view of things, which I think is consistent with Judah and I think it's consistent with Scripture, is that the resurrection of this, quote, temple is about us as people resurrecting the love and the passion of God, the fire, the righteousness within our heart that then creates such a compelling moment for us all that it's irresistible that we need to share it out into the world. Our church becomes the world. And it's not limited by four walls. It's not limited by a church brand or title or name. It's not limited by a geographic location that says we only have certain people in this area. It's not limited by the church's resources to add a new wing on or build a new school. It's only limited by the passion that we have and the willingness that we have to step into what God's asking us to do because there are no rules other than where God leads us and there's no binds unless we allow them to be there. The amazing thing about the letter of Judah is he's speaking to so much of that and probably all of it as he sees the glory of God settling in and the need for this for people to hear him, to correct the messaging from the pulpit, to get rid of those that are asleep and are disturbing things from within, the corrupted teachings, and then closes with the most profound thing of praising God, knowing that God will protect his children no matter what befalls. This is true passion and faith. We look back on these books and we look back on these disciples and we say, and in this case apostles, and we say, Wow, they're amazing people. But here's the thing. So are we. It's about a choice, a stepping in, a trusting in God. And it's amazing where we are. Patriots, let's pray. Father, I'm just very humbled as you've led this evening to read the book of Judah and just how much is in there for us to learn and to take in and to appreciate. It's an amazing story of insight into the power of the pulpit, the power of the the word, the power of living the word, most importantly. So much emphasis is often placed on the perfection of the doctrine, which is part of living the word, but it's the translation of that into our living life that truly transforms the world. And that's probably the greatest lesson that comes from Judah. So, Father, we just pray for that understanding that wisdom to settle in on so many to be able to guide and to direct as need be that walk that we purify our walk into the whole life response in our love and grace with you a whole life response in our obedience to Jesus such a profound place for us to be that we're seeking the intimacy with you this we're seeking your face We're seeking the intimacy with Jesus as if having a conversation with our best friend and to learn and hear that voice and to live that voice and be obeying to that in the most amazing ways, not on one day a week, not on select times, but it's a continual breath in and out as we breathe and walk with you in this amazing journey of growth and experiencing the world from a completely refreshed and reborn set of eyes. Guide us in these times. We're blessed, Father. Thank you. Humbled, Father. Thank you. Impassioned, Father. Thank you. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name.
Amen. We really are in such an amazing moment in time to consider and reflect of all the generations before us that have walked and never had these moments. A time where we can assemble from all over the world in a single time and place. Be it a digital place, it makes no difference. We're able to share. We're able to look in and see things that we haven't seen before. And as the world is unraveling, the mysteries are being exposed. The darkness is coming to light. Imagine the generations past that had no clue about this. And here we are on a cusp, on a precipice of either losing humanity or saving humanity. Yes, God wins. But the guarantee for us is not there. That depends much on our actions and choices that we make with our free will. God gave us that free will. But I think what's most profound is as we know this and as we look around and we're honest, we can see that there is a massive turning of tide, that the chaos that comes out of that corrupted pulpit, the chaos that we see almost daily, deceitfulness, lies, the ability to literally lie and lie and lie and live that way comfortably is what they represent because it's all about power, manipulation, control, and enslavement of God's children. But we're saying no. And so as I have referenced many times, this is like an Exodus 2.0. But it's an exodus of our minds, an exodus of our hearts to leave that which enslaved us and to walk boldly into kingdom to free us. And what I truly believe, as God put on my heart earlier today with a call that I had with a couple friends, Everything is here now. We just don't realize it because we're not stepping in enough. We ask, well, what about the economy? We ask, well, what are we going to do about money? We ask, what are we going to do if fuels run out? All we have to do is trust because there's so many of us and so few of them. The talents and resources that we bring together, that we come together, don't take us down the paths of Cain and Balaam and, and, in the, and the issues of Korah. Instead, they take us to the empowerment and the freedom experienced by Paul. The, the glories experienced by Gideon and un, un, overmatched by his enemy by so many, so many thousands, and yet he succeeds. The great victories of David overcoming impossible odds or even Moses as he leads his people and then hands the scepter of power over to Joshua to continue the journey without rebellion, without dissension as they move through to grow and to evolve, to be freed from the enslavement they were. This is the time we live now. So be excited, be empowered, be joyous. But most of all, seek to walk the path that we speak. To be pure in that walk is a whole life response to our love in Jesus and our obedience to Jesus. Have a very blessed weekend. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil, never relent, always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, have a blessed Saturday. I will see you Sunday evening. For Peace Be Still. And I th we may be having a guest on. I'm hoping to get Brian Kahenick on Sunday night. We'll see. Until then or until the next time, God bless, good night, thank you, and out for now. Oh, I want to feel something, I just want to breathe again, dive into the deepest dead, oh, I want to feel something. Let me get back in my body Oh
high